The number one place for people to listen to the radio is in the car. Lifestyles have changed. People aren't in their cars as much. The number two place is at work. People aren't at their offices as much. So what happens when nobody's on the road and nobody's at work? In April, we saw the typical radio station lose about 50 to 70% of its revenue. That's massive. Cut in half or more. And will there be a big surprise when the casinos reopen in Vegas? There were a number of machines turned off. There was a real risk that the machines literally will not turn back on because they're too old. This is The Language of Business, a podcast designed to inform and inspire entrepreneurs and anyone thinking about a startup. Hear about strategies that work and strategies that don't work from people who've been there and done that. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Gregory Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. In this episode, we look at the effect of the COVID-19 shutdown on radio stations and casinos. Here's Greg Stoller. Thank you, Don. A lot of people listen to the radio in their cars, but no one is driving. Still others love to listen at work, but everyone's working at home. Now what happens? Following social distancing, we're on location in Annapolis, Maryland with Charlie Sislin, partner at Research Director Incorporated, and welcome to the Language of Business. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for having me. Nielsen publishes on a regular basis the amount of people who listen to the radio, and then stations and advertisers use that to place their content. Your job is to interpret it. What trends are you seeing these days? Well, lifestyles have changed drastically since the uh, onset of COVID-19. Now, the data in major markets, top 45 markets in the U.S., let's say, comes out every 28 days. And the previous report, which was called March, half the report was before the government shutdown and half was after it. So that was a fairly unusual report. The latest report that is just being released this week, all 28 days were during the government shutdown. And we saw a drastic change in how people listen to radio by both extent, where, and when. And it is a true reflection that lifestyles have changed. People aren't in their cars as much. People aren't at their offices as much. So being less mobile, the out-of-home listening has dropped off, but there have been some increases at at-home listening. Now, when you say it's dropped off, is it a 10% decline, a 30% decline, or even worse? It depends on what your base is. If we look at the past 12 books before the, that March report, because that March report's half and half, you're usually seeing somewhere around a total 30% drop in radio listening, or at least how Nielsen measures it. More significant is the drop in the younger demos, the 18 to 34 and 18 to 49 have seen a more significant decline in their listening. Most of that decline, if not in some markets, all of that decline has been from away from home listening. So what happens if in the younger demographics, people just live stream at home and still want to listen to their favorite radio station? Well, that's a great question. And that gets into how the survey is done. The survey is done in these major markets by people carrying a device called a PPM. And that device picks up whatever radio station you're listening to. And the line is, if your ears can hear it, the meter can hear it. And it timestamps it so it knows what you were listening to and when you were listening. For all terrestrial radio stations, they have an encoder on their signal. Not all streamed radio stations have an encoder. Most do, but some don't. If they don't have that encoder at their, at their digital platform, the listening is occurring, 
but the meter's not picking it up. So it is losing that listening. The other part of listening that's lost and has been ever since Nielsen went to the system is headphones, now earbuds. Again, the device has to hear the signal. And if you're wearing earbuds, it just doesn't pick it up. So the personal people meters, the PPMs are not necessarily picking up what they should. What does that mean to radio station ownership, management, and then advertisers? Well, the Nielsen data is our currency. That is how people negotiate the rate of the radio station. For the terrestrial signals, let's put the earbuds to the side. For the terrestrial stations, most of them are encoding, so it's picking up all the listening. It's those streams, but broadcasters have two ways of taking care of their stream. One is called TLR. That stands for Total Line Reporting. And what that means is whatever comes over the airways through your tower is identical to what comes through your stream, including the commercial messages. In that case, Nielsen puts the two numbers together and you can't separate them because the ads are the same on both. However, many radio stations do what they call split their signal. The commercial that you hear over the regular broadcast is a different commercial than you hear on the stream. In that case, Nielsen does not combine them. But what broadcasters do is they sell the digital differently. They don't use, typically don't use the Nielsen data to sell their currency. They're selling it on gross impression. We can deliver this ad 10,000 times in Boston. And because it's all server-based, they know that they've delivered that commercial 10,000 times. So it's more of an actual delivery than using the Nielsen for negotiating of a rate. Now, I know that your company has clients all over the United States and also in Canada. What are you primarily hearing from your clients these days? Are they sucking up the last 28 days or are they already making future business planning changes? Let's remember, and I, I did a talk yesterday, that this collapse, and I'll use that term, happened in about 36 hours. And I tell radio, I say the line that radio station salespeople had to go through the first five parts of grieving in about 36 hours, which is, you know, denial, anger, whatever the rest are. They had 36 hours. Now, what we're talking about radio listening, but I need to stress that sales also plummeted because when restaurants close, they're not advertising. When concerts and sporting events aren't happening, they're not advertising. In April, we saw the typical radio station lose about 50 to 70% of its revenue. That's massive. Cut in half or more. May is kind of, everyone's down, but in the summer, not as bad. But we're still hearing 30 to 50% down. Salespeople have had to adapt to how they're handling this change. Now, our hope is as markets open up, not only will the ad revenue come back, but people will be commuting again. People will be in their offices again. People will be out shopping again. And at that time, their radio listening will be back to normal levels. We're right now having a pool on, again, we just had the March report and the April report. When the May report comes out, how much is it going to be up? And we're playing games with it. We think listening will be back up, not to its normal levels, because this is going to be a slow rollout. But what we're telling people, and Nielsen has a notification in their March and April books that says, once markets open up, this data is not a true reflection of radio listening. Because as lifestyles change, and the PPM is very good at picking up changes in lifestyle. As lifestyles have changed, people stop listening to radio or reduce the amount they're listening to radio. And as they start to get back in their car, it's going to be back. So we're suggesting to our clients that ignore once your market opens up, ignore the March book, ignore the April book. And it, while it may be old data, use the January and February reports 
because that's a truer reflection of radio listening. Charlie, what keeps you up at night about the future of your own company? <laughs> My own company? Owning a business is always stressful. Uh, obviously, I've never had children, but I say it's like childbirth. The pain is incredible, and you don't know the benefit until it's over. What keeps me up at night is the idea that there are so many different ways for people to advertise now. I mean, when I started in this business, it was broadcast television, radio, billboards, newspaper. Well, now radio sales or media sales like everything else, is supply and demand. Well, we now have an unlimited amount of advertising supply. We will never run out of advertising supply because of digital. Google is never going to turn somebody away and say, I don't have any ad space. Therefore, the price of, that radio stations charge is a fraction or could become a fraction. So radio stations have to, can't sell as a commodity, same way television can't sell as a commodity. Newspapers are trying to make the transition over to digital, but having a very easy time of transferring the readership to digital, but having a very difficult time of transferring the revenue to digital. And that's my fear for radio. We can do a great job of pushing people from the terrestrial signal to the smart speaker, but we better know how to monetize that in a way that we can continue to be a profitable business. Charlie, thank you very much. Thank you. Charlie Sislin, partner at Research Director Incorporated out of Annapolis, Maryland. Back to you, Don. Thanks, Greg. Still to come, the surprise in Vegas when the slots reopen, when the language of business continues. Support for the language of business is from Boston University Questrom School of Business. If you want to take the next step in your career, despite social distancing requirements, Boston University has an option for you. The Questrom Online MBA. It's a top 50 program for a very affordable $24,000. And you can complete your online MBA in as little as two years. As an online MBA student, you'll be part of a truly global learning community with your fellow online MBA students all around the world. You'll join a network that includes outstanding faculty and staff in Boston and over 51,000 Questrom alumni and 335,000 BU alumni around the world. Interested? Get full details at bu.edu slash Questrom. You're listening to the Language of Business Podcast. Once again, Greg Stoller. Don, thank you. How do you run a company when 99% of your customers shut down? We're on location using social distancing with Mike Dreitzer, president of Gaming Arts out in Las Vegas, and welcome to the Language of Business. Well, thank you, Greg. So this isn't endemic to Gaming Arts or to Las Vegas. This is obviously true in Macau and literally any place that has a casino industry, correct? Correct. Now, we're hearing uh, rumblings of certain casinos around the world, like in Macau. I believe they're starting to open up a little bit. There's no playbook for this. And so you just have to uh, take it a step at a time and figure out what you need to do to bridge your business to a point when the your customers open back up. And in terms of bridging your own business, what are you doing? Is this well beyond the CARES Act or something else? Well, obviously, um, you know, we have availed ourselves of what's been put out there by the federal government by way of assistance, but that's just one piece of it. Additionally, you have to look at your staff. Unfortunately, uh, a fair amount of furloughs and layoffs and cuts, salary cuts have been necessary across the business all in, uh, in an effort to preserve cash flow to bridge yourself to when things will get better. The problem is you, you, you're building a bridge to a new era, if you will, a post-COVID era. The problem is you don't know how long that bridge needs to be, right? Uh, will we be up and running in full uh, within 30 or 60 days? Most definitely not. How about 90? How about 180? How about a year? 
So you really have to try to do what you can to make contingency planning to bridge yourself to that next period. Uh, we do know that a number of our casino customers will open their doors. Um, and what will that look like? Will they have less machines to allow for greater social spacing between players? Uh, will they only open on certain days, certain hours? So we're tracking this as best we can across the industry. It's a challenge to say the least. So my industry in, within the United States is largely split into two distinct segments. Number one are the tribal casinos. And those are the casinos you see, for example, near you at Foxwoods. You also have uh, the commercial casinos. Of course, Nevada is a commercial jurisdiction, as is Massachusetts with Wynn as an example. And so with respect to Nevada, that will be um, a decision largely placed in the hands of Governor Steve Sisolak. He made the very brave decision and saved a lot of lives on uh, March 13th, where he essentially shut down the state. All non-essential businesses and casinos were deemed non-essential. So walking down the Las Vegas Strip now is quite eerie because there's never been a time in history that anyone can remember where the Las Vegas Strip was simply empty. And it's quite astonishing to see. There were a number of machines turned off, various casinos, not only in the Las Vegas Strip, but in other areas. The machines have been on that floor operational for years and years. And there was a real risk that those machines might never actually turn back on. And so literally there's a percentage of floors, some people estimating as high as 20% of certain floors, the machines literally will not turn back on because they're too old. Beyond just the problems with the machinery in the casinos, how about the restaurants that support all of these hotels, et cetera? How are they doing, Mike, with takeout? Well, obviously um, it's, it isn't, of course, just the casino floor. The effects have been devastating on the entire economy of Southern Nevada, all of Nevada, and obviously everywhere not in the casinos. The casinos are all shut down. So those people are all hurting and furloughed and out of work. The other standalone restaurants in Southern Nevada are all open for takeout. Uh, luckily, Nevada has done a really good job of social distancing. In fact, by most accounts, we're amongst the leaders in the country in terms of our ability to adhere to a social distancing requirement. I know California has done very well as well. What I've likened this to is when you're sitting on a plane and you hear the pilot over the, uh, the loudspeaker say, well, we'll be cleared to take off in 10 minutes. And so you get in your mind, you say, okay, well, then 10 minutes, we'll be ready to go. 10 minutes comes and what happens? The pilot gets back on and says, well, it looks like it's going to be another 20 minutes, folks. And it's um, you know certainly understandable because even the officials and even the medical personnel, they just don't know at this point, what it's going to take to open back up. So running a business in that uncertain environment is quite the challenge, but you do the best you can. Mike, you've not only been in the industry for over 20 years, you've served in a number of leadership positions at different companies. What do you tell your team? And what do you tell employees who are not exactly living paycheck to paycheck, but certainly might not have three or four months of savings in the bank? Amongst the hardest things, you ever have to do as a business leader is to tell somebody that they don't have a job. They wake up in the morning, they go to work, and you know, you've known ahead of time because you're planning this that they are going to not have a job by the end of the day. Now, there's different categories, of course. There's layoffs, which there's basically no expectation that they'll be brought back on. And then there's furloughs, uh, which is the, thankfully, in a, in a way, the majority of what we've done. And the expectation is that some or all will come back depending upon what's happening 
uh, in the greater in our industry and in the greater economy. But it's very, very difficult. I think they appreciate directness. I think they appreciate, you know, communication with them, not beating around the bush, not trying to paint a rosy picture that doesn't exist and just uh, communicating. So you just want to give them all the information that you know. And unfortunately, you know, they look to leaders as anyone does in an organization. They look to leaders for answers. And so we do the best that we can with honesty and humility to try and present the most accurate picture we can. We want to make sure that everybody understands the resources available to them. No matter what, we're going to keep everybody furloughed or otherwise have access to health insurance for as long as possible. Mike, with all the balls that you're juggling, what is the single one that is keeping you up the most at night? Making sure we can uh, figure out how long this bridge is, and we still don't know, but trying to do what we can to get to the other side. Mike Dreitzer, president of Gaming Arts in Las Vegas, Nevada. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. Stay well, stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Don, back to you. Thanks, Greg. And that's our latest episode. The Language Business is available wherever you get podcasts. We have downloads in 62 countries that we're aware of and 10 more that are marked as unknown. We really appreciate the support. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and you'll automatically receive new episodes. Our social media is by Jennifer Powell of the Excellent Writers Group. Consulting producer, Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Direction, audio editing, and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of somethingyoushouldknow.net. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, thanks for listening to The Language of Business.